I hope you're having a joyful time. And I said, when we have the day after Christmas and have our Christmas theme and so forth, I wanted to finish up honoring Jesus and his birth and what that means to us, what that means. So today, and a sign shall be this, and this shall be the sign to you this morning. If you have your Bibles, so if you would please find them and dig them out. If you are watching online, go grab them. For this last few weeks, we've been looking at just a few of the prophecies that pointed towards the Messiah. And those particularly, we came from Isaiah. And over the last few weeks, as we looked and shared, we looked at Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. And last week, we looked at Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. These were amazing prophecies that came from old, that the scholars, as they looked at that, as they found that, even those before, prior to Christ's birth, as they were studying the scriptures, realized something significant was happening. And whether Isaiah understood, which is doubtful, understand the impact that his words would have, we certainly look at them and see that a marvelous thing had happened. And so these great prophecies, there are over 300 in the Old Testament that point to the birth of Christ. This is just a couple of them. So this morning, I'd like you to look at Isaiah 7 for the last one. Isaiah 7. There are others there, but this is the significant one I'd like for you to look at this morning. So Isaiah chapter 7 this morning, as you would. Now, to get the background, King Ahaz was on the throne. Now, this is a following uh, King Hezekiah. If you remember last time, we talked about Hezekiah had taken an and opened up and showed everybody from Babylon all around, all of his wealth and everything. And then he was warned by Isaiah, you fool, they will come back and take everything. You showed them all the wealth, they're going to come and take it. Well, as it happened, as the things rolled out, as things went forward, sure enough, that happened. Well, Ahaz had another problem. And that problem was that the Lord had said and looked at him and he said, he did not do right in the eyes of the Lord his God. How would you like to have that printed as your epitaph that people <laughs> 3,000 years later approximately would be looking at and saying, ah, King Ahaz, yes, you did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Well, the, the thing is that uh, Ahaz mixed, he mixed truth with error and he was involved in idol worship as well as the temple. It was a terrible mess that he had made. But anyway, he was doing that and having that and we find that air in in the uh, bible in the scriptures prelude to that in second kings uh, 16 okay so ahaz king ahaz he was concerned he was sitting in jerusalem he feared that he would be attacked by the king's aram which was a um palestine uh, palestine uh king a threat to him but also from ramlai who was also uh, the king up in israel because by this time judah and Israel had separated. So, he was in deep distress. He was afraid he was going to get crushed. No king likes to sit on his throne and say, Hey, the enemy's at my doorstep. What are they going to do? Well, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came. And the word of the Lord spoke to him in here in chapter 7, verse 7. It said, Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. So, King Ahaz had the opportunity to say, well, 
I believe the Lord, and okay, therefore, there's some comfort there. The Lord was simply saying that those two kings are not going to come down and take Jerusalem. Not going to happen. Well, King Ahaz, as he was sitting on the throne and thinking it all over, he said, uh, again, the Lord spoke to him because Ahaz had doubts. He didn't believe him. Didn't believe the word of the Lord. And so the Lord spoke to him in verse 11, ask the Lord your God for a sign. This is God speaking. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. You ask for a sign. I'll give you a sign that you will believe, the Lord is saying. King Ahaz, put your trust in me. I will give you a sign that my word is true. Well, then Ahaz, he responded and he said, well, but Ahaz, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test, the doubter. Even if the Lord had given him a test and proved Ahaz was still doubting, still fearful, not, not really thinking it through, not believing all the times the Lord had done the great things for them in the past. No, Ahaz did not have a trusting relationship in God. He was doing his own thing. That's why he was in the eyes of the Lord. He did not do right. Not that he just had a bad attitude, but he was doing bad things. Bad things. So along came Isaiah the prophet. And he said to him, Hear now, you house of David. That was what was left in Jerusalem, the king Ahaz. Hear now, the house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of my God also? Will you try him? Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We'll call him Emmanuel. Last week we looked at Isaiah 9, and we saw that great passage, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. We saw that last week. Great passage of scripture. But here we find the Lord himself. The Lord himself said, I'll give you a sign. And that sign, that sign will come, will be more than just for you, King Ahaz. It will be for everyone thereon including those who are gathered at Bethlehem, including those who are gathered in the Naples SDA Church on December 26th in 2020. I will give you a sign so you will know. So you won't have any doubts. You will know. Well, Matthew 1 talks about that. And if you can turn over to Matthew chapter 1, we'll look at that quickly. Matthew chapter 1. Now, here's a story that Matthew is revealing. Only Luke and Matthew deal with the birth of Christ. Mark does not. John does not. Only Matthew and Luke do. And they try to fill in the details for us. And Matthew goes on to share a part of the story that Luke does not. So here in Matthew chapter 1, I'd like to have you look with me at some 700 years after Isaiah had given his prophecy. So here comes the sign. Here comes the fulfillment as Matthew shares with us in chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how 
This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they would come together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. I'd like to just stop there for a moment. What does it mean to be faithful to the law? There's something more hidden here, something more laying here than just saying that he followed the Ten Commandments. When it was making that phrasing, that specific phrasing to say that he was faithful to the law, it implies that Joseph was a leader in the synagogue. Maybe not the priest, but he was high in the leadership of the synagogue. And now he's going to marry Mary. He's going to have the wedding ceremony. They're married. They're getting together. And now he has a problem. Because he, he has an influence. He has things for, for people to, to look at him and to, to give an example. You expect me to give an example. You expect other leaders to give an example. And so, well, as I grew up, my parents were always, well, be a good example to your sisters. Be a good example to others. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was expected to be a good example. He was a leader going on. And yet, did not want to expose her, Mary, to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Just go, do it very quietly, let her go on her way. Not to cause any embarrassment, just, just let her go. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to marry, do, um, take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now we have something loaded in there. We have something significant in there. You've noticed, and you, Joseph, you, Joseph, will give him the name. That was significant because... If Mary had given the name, then Joseph had no part in it. But if Joseph gave Jesus the name, giving the name, meant that he is claiming him as his son. So this act of Joseph, for which he stepped over, this thing that Joseph did, this action that Joseph took, by faith, believing what the angel had told him, even though he knew this was not his son, had to look past and he put his trust and faith in God that what was happening was a sign from God. That what was taking place. And so he would give his name, give the name to Jesus. Joshua is the Hebrew name. Jesus. Because he will do what? Because he will save his people from the sin. So Joseph that day gave him the name, Jesus, as the angel had instructed him. And Why? Because the purpose of him coming was that he will save his people from their sins. That's why. 
Now, I'm sure Joseph had no concept of what this was all about. He would be learning about this as his child grew up, how his child would be different. And the temptation and the things that had happened for the slaughter of the innocents that took place in Bethlehem and how they had to escape to Egypt and the whole story that you may be familiar with arrived up that he will save his people from their sins, from their sins. And all this, Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, and that prophet was Isaiah, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. My phone is ringing. Sorry. God with us. Emmanuel. In other words, God would come and live with us. In fact, John talks about it, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Here came God to live with us, to tabernacle with us, to live among us. It had been the desire of God from the very beginning when he created us to always be with us. He walked with Adam and Eve. He walked with them until they sinned and they separated themselves from him. But as always, then God came in the flesh in order to save us from our sins, to make us whole. It's a powerful, beautiful thing. It's a powerful and beautiful story. Well, how's holiday going for you? Hmm? So this woman, she, uh, she was busy, and she had picked out 50 of her friends, about 50 of her friends. She wanted to send a gift to them. But as she began to add it up, she realized, oh, that's, that's too expensive. I can't do that. And in the rush of things, time get going. I don't know if you were in this, but time to send out cards. If you still send cards, I get a lot of electronic ones, don't you? Sending them out, that's easier. But so she was busy at the time getting these cards out, and she went by, and she found some cards, and she quickly took them home, quickly addressed them, put the stamps, quickly signed her name, and sent them all off. Well, after Christmas, she, she began to look and pick up her things and look, and she, as she picked up the cards that she said, she, the card that she had sent, she saw one, a few that were left over. She opened it up, and inside it said to them, this Christmas card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. Oops. Now she's in real trouble. Because now she has to send a gift to all those people. A little gift. I mean, it's important to read your cards, isn't it? A little gift. A little gift. Well, this sign that came, this sign that came with Jesus, it wasn't just a little gift. Most of the world did not realize it was more than just a little gift. This was the great gift, the greatest gift that could ever be given. The greatest gift to you, of which you cannot repay. You can never repay. Maybe you've had that experience in life where someone has done something for you that you can never repay them. Never give back to them what they've done for you. Something that they've given. I can never repay my parents for what they have done for me. 
I was adopted, as most of you know. And I think of, I found my birth family, to think how the difference would have been between my birth family and my adoptive family. None of my birth brothers and sisters ever finished college. A few of them went a little bit, but just a little bit. No money, no backing. Yet my parents not only put me through school, but they shared with me what Jesus meant. I'll never forget that. There's no way that I could ever thank them enough, is there? But the reward will be when they see me with them at Jesus' feet. Then they'll say, ah, see, it was worth it. Because the greatest gift given is to pass on to someone else the great gift of Christ and his salvation to us. It is the greatest gift. And it's all built, all built on the purpose of his birth. On the purpose of his birth, as portrayed in the picture, is the cross. Which led to the cross to pay for my sins. He shall save his people from their sins, you say. Going to the cross, born to die. And resurrected. But he leaves us with a great promise. Because as I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself. I will receive you unto myself. You will be mine. You will be there. It was a great promise that was given to us and to share. Well, as I was uh, a young man, and I, I was uh, quite fascinated by the protest movements that were happening during the Vietnam War. For those of you who don't know, there were these folks during the Vietnam War, they knew how to protest. You know? I see some of these around other people, and I said, no, these, these people, these, they don't know how to protest. They don't know how to really do it right. Because they were huge for the Vietnam War. And some of you who were old enough to remember, they were big. I've witnessed some. Saw some of them uh, myself as they were going. Well, through all that, music came out, and there were all protests, and there were protest songs, and we were singing and having a great time. And part of that came from an artist, which I am not endorsing his behavior, but came from Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Now, Bob Dylan... Um, as an interesting, interesting person, because he was quite a poet and quite a, quite a writer, music writer. Um, but it wasn't accepted, because he never got awards for it, even though it was vastly popular. Well, there was one song, one song that I don't know, as he was writing, if he really understood the implications of it. But I learned the song, and I played it on my guitar, and I used it in the implication of the promise of God. So you'll have to understand the poetry of this is coming, but please bear with me. I think you will see. It's called The Hour the Ship Comes In. It's quite a song. Oh, the time will come up when the wind will stop and the breeze will cease to be breathing. Like the stillness in the wind before the hurricane begins. The hour that the ship comes in. And the seas will split and the ship will hit. And the sands on the shoreline will be shaken. Then the tide will sound and the wind will pound. And the morning will be breaking. Oh, the fishes will laugh and they'll swim out of the path. 
and the seagulls, they'll be smiling. And the rocks on the sand will proudly stand the hour that your ship comes in. And the words that are used for to get the ship confused will not be understood as they're spoken. For the chains of the sea will be busted in the night and, the, and will be buried at the bottom of the ocean. A song will lift as the mainsail shifts and the boat drifts on to the shoreline and the sun will respect every face on the deck the hour that the ship comes in. Then the sands will roll out a carpet of gold for your weary toes to be a-touching. And the ship's wise men will remind you once again that the whole wide world is watching. Oh, the foes will rise with the sleep still in their eyes, and they'll jerk from their beds and think they're dreaming. But they'll pinch themselves and squeal and know that it's for real the hour that the ship comes in. And then they'll raise their hands, saying, we'll meet all your demands. But we'll shout from the bow, your days are numbered. And like Pharaoh's tribe, they'll be drowned in the tide. And like Goliath, they'll be conquered. The hour that the ship comes in, the hour when Christ comes, it is the promise that has been given to us, the sign of Jesus' birth, the sign that he was born and given to us, the sign that God shared with them, given the authenticity of the prophecies from hundreds of years before, came to fulfillment exactly as they are. But the promise of Christ does not end at the birth of Christ. The promise lays for us that I will come again, and I will take you back, and I will come, and everybody will scoff and lorn, and they'll say, oh, it never happened, never happened. It's getting too long. This is, forget it. But I said, just as surely as I came in Bethlehem, I will come again, and I will take you home with me. And that power, that is what gives Adventists their power and movement. It is because of the blessed hope. It is the blessed hope in our hearts that gets us excited and say, that's why we need to share. And we are the ones, we are the people who know where in prophecy, where in the Bible, we are exactly are. We can point to the verse to know exactly where we are in the Bible and what is yet to come. We know exactly because we understand Scripture. Not we're the only ones who are wise enough, but people aren't reading. They're not seeing. And the promise is given to us promises given to us assuredly as he came in Bethlehem he will come again so old King Ahaz sat on his throne well I don't want to test God I, I don't want to do that God said I'll give you a sign I'll give you a sign and he's given sign after sign after sign and fulfilled them all the way down to our day we know where we are and that we're waiting for the last event when Jesus will appear and will take us home. Dear Lord, I thank you for the power and the beauty of that experience. I thank you for the beauty of knowing that you will come. The hour when you come, 
and the sky will split open. And you will come with your angels and come to take us home. What a day that will be. We sense because of the world or what's happening around us, as scoffers are here and there, we sense from Scripture that the end is near. And not to be sad or not to be discouraged, but to be encouraged and to take the beauty of those words as treasures in our heart. For yea, Lord, we have looked forward to your coming. I ask that you bless this house of prayer and praise with your gracious spirit that all who walk through these doors may know you to be the Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, some of you uh, have, are online. We thank you for joining us, and we uh, hope to see you next week at 11 o'clock. We'll be delighted to have you here. And thank you, and if you have any questions or just let us know. You can let us know through our website. We are delighted to have you be with us, and God bless you in the new year that begins.